Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In this episode, Tanuja Randery, Managing Director, AWS Europe, Middle East, and Africa, is joined by Chris Hill, CEO of Hargreaves Lansdowne, to discuss redefining wealth management through digital transformation. Hello, this is Tanuja Randery, Managing Director, Europe, Middle East, and Africa for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. I will be speaking with CEOs from across the EMEA region about what it takes to transform business and society, how they are leveraging data and technology to accelerate growth and innovate, and their insights on topics such as sustainability and addressing the digital skills gap. We will also be providing a glimpse into the personalities behind some of our great leaders of industry. I'm delighted to be joined today by Chris Hill, CEO of Hargreaves Lansdowne. Hargreaves Lansdowne, for those of you who don't know, is the UK's largest digital wealth management service, administering 123.8 billion of investments for over a million 737,000 clients. Prior to joining Hargreaves Lansdowne, Chris also worked as CFO of IG Group Holdings, PLC, and TravelX. Chris is qualified as a chartered accountant at Arthur Anderson, is a member of the Investment Association's Advisory Council and Board, the FCA's Practitioner Panel, and of the 30% Club. Under his guidance, the company has seen tremendous growth and weathered the challenging headwinds of the last few years. He's a strong advocate for financial resilience and has introduced innovative initiatives such as Five to Thrive, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and the Savings and Resilience Barometer. Now, when he's not at his desk, you might find him in a Nordic boat on the River Dart in Devon or spending time with his wife and three children. And as a result, he's often referenced as a cheerful captain of savings flagship Hargreaves Lansdowne. I'm super excited to have him on the show to share his insights, reflect on his time with Hargreaves and share his experiences of pushing the financial services sector to the next phase. Chris, welcome to AWS Conversations with Leaders. Thank you, Tunisia. Thank you very much for inviting me. Loving having you on the show. Maybe I'll get started with a simple question, or maybe not so simple. I recently heard someone say that successful cultural or social change follows a think big, start small, start now structure. Does that resonate with you? Is there an ethos like that that you've used to make decisions and guide projects or even to build your career? Um, actually, yes, there has. But for me, it's always been about values. And I think I have a very strong set of values. And it's those that have helped me. And, you know, they help me now to make decisions that made that it's my sense of values that has helped me to think about how my career has developed. And I think when it comes to doing the job that I do do right now today, what to me is incredibly important as the CEO is to lay out a very, very clear purpose and a very, very, very clear vision. And Hargreaves Lansdowne for us is to empower our clients to save and invest with confidence. And that is something that we all get behind. But we've also spent a lot of time thinking about and developing a set of values that really get behind supporting the, the supporting that purpose. I think it's that combination that's really that really helps to guide us as we go through what you know running a business over the last pick your pick your time at Horizon really you know five or six years has been tremendously uncertain with all sorts of 
things that have happened where there is no playbook. And when it comes down to that, you, you know, you don't have a plan because you don't have a playbook. So what is it that really, really guides you? And I think a strong sense of purpose and a strong core set of values are exactly what I've certainly seen that's helped us through, you know, the last five or six years. I think that's so spot on, Chris. And I, as I think about our culture as well, you know, we work on this 16 leadership principles that I think we've probably talked about a couple of times. And it is what guides us as well, you know, in terms of how we are, how we show up every day in front of our customers. You've actually added half a million clients to your platform in the last two years alone. Um, And I believe half of those joining are between 30 and 54. What do you think happened at the start of the pandemic? I mean, did you see something uniquely different in the way that enabled you to transform at that magnitude? You know, there was so much that was uncertain at the time of the the pandemic. I think a lot of people thought that the, you know, the the economy was really, really going to struggle and probably elements of society that were really, really going to struggle. But we were incredibly well positioned because people were at home, they were saving, they also had time. And they were using that time and the ability of having some money to think about, well, this is something I knew that I always needed to do. I need to get control of my investments. And actually, the barriers of not having enough time or not having the wherewithal were suddenly removed. And we had the tools to be able to support them in doing that. So, and helping people in troubled and in certain times are things that Harvey Sandstown has done over and over and over again. I think that what was what was different this time was, you know, the fundamental challenge to the business model. I mean, we had to transform to be able to, you know, have as few people in the office as possible and do as much from people's homes as we possibly could. So similar to many, I think we went through a massive change in how we worked as a as a business. But we were able to do that extremely well. And we were able to be there and support people and help people through a somewhat unnerving and challenging time and help them get on the right path to sort out and manage their savings and their savings and investments. The half a million clients that we brought on through the pandemic, it was really an accelerant of trends that we'd always seen before. We'd positioned ourselves because we saw that the more and more people, I mean, for those that don't know, in the UK, there's a transition from for pensions, long-term savings from companies who would manage that on behalf of their employees to actually the responsibility now shifting onto the employees themselves. And they have their own pot that they are now building up, but they need help to be able to manage that. It's a very volatile world, low yielding, and quite a complex investing environment. So that's where they needed the, the, the help and the support. The other thing is more and more people came into the investing world to be able to do that. Clearly, the opportunity to interact with them digitally became much, much more apparent. And most certainly through the pandemic, that's one of the big accelerants that we saw. I mean, at the height of the pandemic, we had 380 million digital visits. Now, if I compare that to when I took over as CEO, we had sort of less than 100 million. 
And so the level of activity just increased significantly. And, and many, many things have changed as a consequence of that. But we've been really well positioned to be able to support that engagement. And engagement is the key when it comes to managing your money over the long term. Chris, you know, it's interesting you reflect on that, that time and the accelerant, as you say, because, of course, I think when I think about the journey to the cloud, you know, we've seen that happening, you know, quite ambitiously, I would say. But I think what you saw we saw across multiple industries and it actually has put digital transformation agenda at the heart of what almost every single company in every single sector aims to do. I think you also have it at the heart of what you do and a significant investment in your strategy um, starting in 2023. I, I wanted to pick up on some words that I heard your team reflect on. The aim is to redefine wealth management by automating the hell out of everything. I really like that because the point of redefinition, or as we would say, reinvention, is something that's quite, I'd say, quite close to our DNA and to our heart. And maybe if I could pick up on that, because you talked about how that was so important about changing the experience of your customers. What is it about the digital transformation of the industry that stands out for you? What what needs to happen over the next few years? Well, I think that providers now have to be thinking about how they support their customers over a much, much longer period of time. And as a consequence, they need to be far, far more personalized in terms of how they do that. And, you know, bearing in mind that, you know, we talk about more and more people doing it. Therefore, you know, we're talking about a three trillion market now that's going to grow to four trillion by 2026 or so. You've got to do that at scale. And the way to do that at scale is by the use of cloud-based technology because it's better, better, better connected. And also with how you use the data. And it's the combination the use of data and digital technology that allows you to wrap an experience around somebody. And as a consequence, that interaction they have just feels way more personalized because it is. You're using the constant data that you have about their interaction and the important phrase, other people like them, to be able to guide them and nudge them along a journey. And, And that is actually building a relationship with somebody. If you look at Argus Lansdowne and you mentioned the, you know, we've got almost 1.8 million clients. Well, if you laid that out end for end, all of the client data that we've got, we've got about 12 million years worth of client data. And so when you think about that and you think about the different behavioral cycles, the different market cycles that we've seen people go through, the learning that you can extract from that. And what we're doing is we're getting a hold of that data and turning it around and wanting to make it useful for each and every one of our clients at each and every interaction that they have. That's hugely powerful. And that's that's, I think, what's so exciting about the, you know, the direction of the business, but it's the direction of the industry because that's what people need. And I think it's where it is, as you say, it's the data you've got, years and years, as you said, of data, but then it's enriching it, isn't it? It's in continuously enriching that data. It's embedding insights and analytics and, of course, machine learning to be able to get to that level of look around corners that you're talking about, right? How do you help your customers look around corners? How do you help your own teams actually look around corners and run the business very differently? 
Um, and then how do you get to that hyper-personalization point that everyone's talking about? But do it in a way that, as you say, is at scale. Because hyper-personalization without scale is a very inefficient machine. <laughs> hyper-personalization with scale can be phenomenal. Yes, that's right. I think we've also got dynamic in the UK as well, which is the government and the regulator getting behind this and acknowledging that in the UK, it's very much been how people manage their investments been very much driven by advice. But there's a cutoff for advice. If you haven't got enough wealth, then you're not really going to meet the business model of an advice firm. And the You've now got a regulator who's saying, well, we want to get more people investing. And fine, if advice isn't the right thing for everybody, there must be other things we can do to be much more inclusive. So they're looking at the, they call it the advice guidance boundary, and looking at how do we create up a regime that allows for personalized guidance? And this is very, very key, because when you can use the information that you have on somebody to provide some personalized communication, and you can tell them why it's being directed at them, the level of interaction is 300%. It's three times more effective, actually, the response rate that you will get from that. So we worked on a series of communications that we would send to what we now call this better investor um, population. I think over the last year, we've sent out about 700,000 nudges. And as a consequence, We've seen these investors shift their investing behavior to more diversification, more use of funds, more use of tax-efficient wrappers, and they're now benefiting from the power of compounding, the power of diversification, all of these things, and achieving a much better outcome as a result of that. So we had a real test bed during the pandemic. And actually seeing that work and bringing in more people through the pandemic and actually getting more digital appetites has given us the view of actually, you know, we can really harness something here and it will really change, really change the game. I mean, picking up on the point around better investor and maybe slightly taking it down the path of ESG or responsible investment, I read recently that 16% of your clients now have at least one responsible investment. Maybe, and of course, sustainability is something that's on everyone's mind and recently emerged, I think, as a top, top priority for CEOs in particular. Can you help me understand a bit, like, where is that appetite coming from and how have you been catering to that? Has the data and insights that you've collected, leveraging the digital transformation and cloud business you put in place, helped you on that as well? This is an interesting one because it does it does cast a light on how individuals invest. So, you know, as we all know, there's been huge amount of focus on ESG, environmental social governance factors and the impact of those on investment over the last couple of years. And so we've seen more people looking to have a responsible investment in their portfolio. But we think about this in three ways, I think. So we think about this as a, um, from a HL as a business perspective and our own commitments. We we think about it with HL as a fund manager because we are investing our clients' money and they want to understand how we are using that ESG lens to manage our investment. And then also as a platform provider, because we're providing people with access to investing in a range of funds. And, and what people need is 
they need is the sort of the ordinary woman or man on the street to understand actually how does this impact how that I am investing. So what we're trying to do is take a complex issue for people to understand and break it down so they find it easy to understand and provide them with the content in the right sort of way. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. The connection between data, analytics, insights with ESG is huge. And you know, the separation of the two is just never going to get us to where we need to. The combination of the two has often been referred to as twin transformation. And I think What you're exactly, exactly touching on is how do I take this incredible, you know, historical data combined with real-time data, combined with further, you know, enrichment as I understand my customer better, including, by the way, the team in your contact centers, you know, all of the people in your various uh, or parts of your organization, taking that all in into a unified layer and then being able to actually direct or guide is maybe a better word, for your customers towards better investment that ties to them at the point during their life where certain events are happening as well becomes that sort of total integrated proposition and allows you to address your ESG requirements. You're quite right in terms of, I've just talked about moments in time. But actually, we, we look to develop lifelong relationships with clients. And we know, we know that their levels of confidence will change over time. We know that usually when you get to about the age 48 is when you'll start actually think in the UK, you'll start thinking about how you manage your pension. Well, that doesn't kick in until you're 55, but you start thinking about it at age 48. We then know that we have expectations of people calling into the help desk. We understand what the next couple of questions are that they're going to ask. And so what we're doing is trying to take all of that data and find a way of getting out on the front foot and engaging with people so progressively they're building up their knowledge and they're building up that confidence. And, you know, when we talk about the outcomes, it's not just about the investment itself, but it's right. How do you feel about that which you're doing? We've done a, a heap of work around savings and resilience. And there's a resilience barometer that we produce every six months. And one of the things that's given us is, is again, a huge source of data. We do it with Oxford Economics. And we, we just set up a part of the website. We just said, well, actually, if people want to log in and read more about financial resilience, put your age in and where you live, and it will show you other people like you. And what's really interesting is the age demographic of people that, that do that. There is you know, and we've seen it through the pandemic, but it's kind of reinforcing in this aspect. You know, people in their 30s, 40s now are so confident in learning and understanding through digital means. Therefore, you know, that digital appetite is far, far stronger. But we're learning huge amounts from that sort of interaction and we're building that into our augmented tools and journeys, which augmented is all about how you use the power of data and how you use the cloud technology to be much, much better connected to these people. So you're helping them all the way. But it is exactly as you say, it's that lifelong relationship. Well, onto a topic that I love since you mentioned people and what's important to them. You have 1,800 staff, I believe, based in Bristol. 
And the Sunday Times voted in 2022 as the best place to live in the UK. And more than half of HL colleagues are under the age of 35. I'm keen to get your sense on how you think about that talent, the development and retention of that talent. And I guess everything we've talked about so far in terms of your digital data transformation, knock your socks off service, does appeal to them. Thoughts on that? It's a big topic for everybody as well. Bristol's a great city to work in, and we are very, very proud of our Bristol heritage. And we do a lot of work in the community because we are part of that community. And we started doing a lot of these things about five, six years ago because I think we recognize that the the sorts of people who are now coming into the business really, really cared about what the business stood for and what the business was prepared to do in order to you know, demonstrate what it stood for. So we talked about our purpose to empower people to save and invest with confidence, but we're extremely proud of our Bristol heritage and we've done a lot to get involved with the Bristol community. And we're now actually taking a lot of the work that we've done around financial resilience to pull together an action group within the area and help engage with employees in the region, we've got our five pillars of financial resilience we talk about. And we want to get those businesses working with their employees to build up their employees' financial resilience. So purpose and values, I think, are really important to people coming into the the workplace today. And I have some very young colleagues, but the average age has actually gone up in recent years. So the focus for us is about building diverse teams, the right skills, the right experience, because 1.8 million clients, we we really do go from all the way from sort of cradle to the grave in terms of the clients that we we support. So I think we're constantly challenging ourselves. You know, just remember all of our clients don't just look like us. There's a range of them. And therefore having diversity in there and the inclusivity, which is really, really key, because you get all of the combined power of that that thinking. And I think you end up developing things in a different way as a consequence of that, and quite frankly, better. And that's the, the benefits of, of doing that. There's a lot to like. We're a very popular brand, and that goes a long way to attracting and retaining. But I think once you get people in the door, they see through that to understand, right, so what does the business stand for? And the culture and the values are really, really so key at that stage. When I talk to people about transformation, and obviously you and I both know digital is always part of that, they don't talk actually about issues on technology. The biggest obstacles they actually talk about are around you know, skills and mindset the culture of innovation, the values, the operating model of the business, you know, how do you get the buy-in of an organization at large to move at the pace, at the accelerated pace that you're driving? I mean, people at the end of the day are talent. I'm a bit concerned because there is such a shortage of digital skills, not only in the UK, but in Europe at large. We're leaning in heavily on the, on the training side, but I think more new jobs will be created that are going to be digital. And so everything we can do in our power together to be able to support that is going to be critical to transformation. How did you bring the organization along this journey? 
what I have focused on is setting the vision and explaining to people, here's the business where it is now, but here are the changing things that are going on around. So we talked about regulation. We talked about digital appetite. We talked about the changing demographics of our clients and their different needs. And as a consequence, help them to understand how well HL is positioned, but what we need to do more of in order to build out and enhance those capabilities. And I think my role as the, the CEO is very much about setting out that vision, communicating it, and getting people excited behind that. And you then start building your team out from that. And you build out your team and you get the right skills and you get the, the right experience. And then I think, you know, what I really, really enjoy then about that leadership is you then you see the teams then developing for themselves and creating outcomes that you kind of thought that you really wanted to get to. But these guys are out there delivering it and, you know delivering it that's phase one because then we're going to go further and we're going to go further again so they're always pushing towards that vision but actually they themselves are demonstrating and creating and executing how you move along along that curve so it is for me it's about empowering the team but it's about empowering the team because i recognize that ultimately that well-skilled diverse, inclusive team is going to deliver a way, way better outcome than if you'd sat there and tried to sort of map it out from line one. I love it. Two leadership principles come to my mind. Think big and leaders are right a lot. They really do reflect what you just said. Chris, one last and personal question, if I may. What is the best piece of advice you ever got? And what's the worst piece of advice you ever got? Actually, I think the best piece of advice I got was trust your instincts because you've got a very strong set of values. There are conversations you can remember. And that is one of the conversations I remember, which is just trust your instincts because your values are right. And that that's going to help. Then what's the worst piece of advice I got? I'm strongly put a finger on it, on it, but it's going to be it's going to be something along the lines of, "Don't do that. Why would you do that?" It was an uncertain task or assignment. Somebody saying, "Well, don't take that because it's really uncertain how it's going to turn out." But the reason it was the worst bit of advice is because in times of uncertainty and taking the challenging assignment are often when you learn the most. It was almost, you know, that advice turned into almost don't don't do something that because you won't learn from it when it was like 100% wrong, which is actually, that's precisely why you should go and do it because you'll learn loads from that. No, got no idea how it's going to turn out, but it's all about the learning. Love it. What a great place to end. It's all about the learning. Could not agree more. Chris, thank you so much. I really appreciate the openness of the conversation and for sharing your experiences. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Tanuja. It's been a real pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word and subscribe, share, rate, and review. Visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights for more on these topics.